Uh, hello, I'm your host, Luke, and uh, for this uh, more quick um, podcast episode to end off the week, this is going to be three um, mysterious airship sightings. Uh, the first is called Noah's Ark Return to Earth. Um, the this one witness saw it looked like Noah's Ark coming back to Earth on April sixteenth, eighteen ninety seven, at two a.m. A night watchman and another witness observed an airship flying over Paris. Paris, Texas. Actually, the two men weren't the only ones who saw it, as it was spotted by several other people in town. But as the April 17th edition of the Galveston Daily News put it, the most accurate account was given by J.A. Black, the night watchman. Quote in the newspaper, Black describes the sighting. I was engaged in making my usual rounds at the mill yesterday morning about 2 o'clock when I observed a faint but luminous object in the northeast sky which attracted his attention. It had the appearance of being enveloped in a luminous hazy cloud. I first thought it to be a meteor of gigantic proportions and the speed appeared equal to such a planetary tramp as it came nearer This idea was quickly dispelled. I ran to the cabin of a man by the name of Jim Smith just across the road and woke him, and together we viewed the aerial monster as it approached nearer. From what appeared to be first a luminous cloud, there is now clearly outlined a monster airship. Both were spellbound by the sight. We had a perfect view of the ship, for the night was clear and the moon was shining bright at the time. The ship had sails or wings outstretched on both sides of its cigar-shaped body, and on both ends there were large rotating fans projecting from the sails at an angle of about 45 degrees, the one in front being elevated while the other at the rear was depressed, somewhat resembling the tail of a bird. We could only gain a faint idea of its accurate size, but think it must have been 200 feet long. The sails or wings constituting nine-tenths of the hole. The cigar-shaped cabin was apparently suspended in the midst of the sails, and it was evident that the fans were propelled by some power or force located in the cabin. The noise of the propelling machinery was plainly heard as the ship sailed swiftly over us. My dog was with me when it was first discovered, and he set up an unearthly moaning, which he continued until the curious visitor was completely lost to view. Mr. Smith was visibly affected, and being superstitious, lost no time in falling to his knees and offering up a prayer for the safety of himself and family. Even now, he claims that the airship was none other than the return of Noah's Ark, with wing-like attachments on its way toward the Mississippi bottoms, its mission being to save the folks from the perils of the overflow in that section. I am sure for my part that what I saw was a veritable airship, and that 
had lights radiating from the various openings on its side, but whether originating from the power of illumination machinery or not, I am unable to say. I would judge that it was traveling at about the same rate of speed as the passenger trains do in Texas, although from the time I first observed it, in the very far northeast sky until it disappeared from view in the southwest was not over 10 minutes. Um, um, The guy went on to say that the object had the appearance of being enveloped in a luminous, hazy cloud is very... Interesting, as in many cases, UFOs will, in fact, use clouds as a means to remain out of sight, which apparently is just what the share ship was doing. Um, there were different reactions from each man. John Smith fell to his knees and began to pray, asking God for the safety of his family and himself, very much under the signs and wonders mentality. Smith had an interesting interpretation of what the airship was at that time in history the mississippi river was threatening to overflow and smith believed that the airship was a heavenly vessel which he likened to noah's ark black on the other hand viewed the airship through the eyes of science observing the lights radiating from the various openings on its side so and some of these other Mysterious airship sightings, they had, like, spotlights. This is slightly different, where it's saying that the lights were coming from, I guess, the windows or portholes on the airship. I'm not really sure. Uh, The newspaper article ends by stating that Mr. Black was willing to make an affidavit as to the truthfulness of his statements, although it was unknown if he ever did. Um, the incident was also mentioned in another number of other newspapers at the time, including the Dallas News and the Austin American Statesman. Next we go to Adam and Eve on an airship. April 16th, 1897, Springfield, Missouri. On April 20th, 1897, the St. Louis Dispatch published a letter from a well-known local salesman, W.H. Hopkins, age 50, who claimed he saw an airship and its two occupants, both nude in the hills east of Springfield. Um, The editors included this letter. In the massive evidence which has reached the Post-Dispatch concerning the existence of an airship that is said to be floating over the Central West. The most astonishing is that, furnished by Mr. W.H. Hopkins, General Traveling Agent for the Hartford Steam Boiler Inspection and Insurance Company. Mr. Hopkins writes the Post-Dispatch that on Friday he saw an airship a few miles away from Springfield. Not only did he see the craft, but he saw the aerial navigators and conversed with them. The letter is not a hoax. 
It is in Mr. Hopkins' handwriting as those employed at the headquarters of the Hartford Company 517 Security Building. It was also identified by his wife, who lives at 528 Minerva Avenue. I guess back then they weren't even allowed to live under the same roof. Mr. Hopkins is 50 years of age and is well known in the West End. He's a prominent church fellow, and everybody spoken to vouches for his veracity. To the editor of the Post-Dispatch, till yesterday, I had signed, suppose the numerous air ship reports in the different parts of the country um, at nearly the same hour were but the result of very vivid imaginations. I thought the first report of an airship was started by some Munchausen of the press to gratify some mischievous whim and to see how many imaginative people would fall in line and claim honestly, of course, that they had seen it also. His own impression was strengthened by his own experience a few days ago when in Kansas City, friend and him thought they saw a bright light in the heavens, which frequently disappeared and then reappeared again. But which afterwards he found was the evening star, which was intensely bright, but which was occasionally obscured by light clouds of steam, which were not visible to us in the darkness. But after his adventure of yesterday, his doubts of the reality of the airship had been dispelled. He was wandering through the hills east of Springfield, Misery, coming to the brow of a hill overlooking a small clearing in the valley a short distance below when he saw a sight that rooted him to the spot with eyes at first and shook himself to see if he was not dreaming. There in the clearing rested a vessel similar in outline to the airship shown in the post-dispatch of a few days ago and was said to have been taken in Illinois. As the sun shone upon it, the rays were reflected as from burnished aluminum. It rested upon four legs or support which raised it from the ground sufficiently to give room for two wheels like the propeller of a ship lying horizontally, one at the bow and one near the stern, another at the stern lying perpendicularly was evidently for the purpose of propelling the vessel ahead while the other two raised the vessel. The vessel itself was about 20 feet long and 8 feet in diameter, and the propeller is about six feet in diameter. Near the vessel was the most beautiful being that had ever beheld. She was rather under medium size, but of the most exquisite form and features, such as would put shame to the forms as sculptured by the ancient Greeks. She was dressed in nature's garb, and her golden hair, wavy and glossy, hung to her waist, unconfined excepting by a band of glistening jewels that bound it back from her forehead. The jewels threw out rays of light as she moved her head. 
she was plucking the little flowers that were just blossoming from the sod with exclamations of delight and in a language he could not understand. Her voice was like low silvery bells and her laughter rang out like their chimes. In one hand, she carried a fan of curious design, which she fanned herself vigorously with, though to him the air was not warm and he wore an overcoat. In the shade of the vessel lay a man of noble proportions and majestic countenance. His hair of dark auburn fell to his shoulders in wavy masses, and his full beard of the same color, but lighter in shade, reached to his breast. He also was fanning himself with a curious fan, as if the heat oppressed him. As he looked on with astonishment at the picture, he wondered if Adam and Eve had come to earth again, or he was dreaming. After gazing for a while, he moved forward, and the woman, hearing the rustle of leaves, looked around. A moment she stood looking at him with wonder and astonishment in her blue eyes, then with a shriek of fear, she rushed to the man who sprung to his feet, threw his arm around her, and glared at him in a threatening manner. He stopped and, taking his handkerchief from his pocket, waved it in the air. A few minutes they stood. He then spoke some words of apology for intruding, but he seemed not to understand, and replied in a threatening tone and words which could not make out. He tried by signs to make him understand, and finally he left her, trembling and trying to hold him back and came towards him. He extended his hand. He looked at it a moment astonishment depicted in his dark brown eyes finally he he extended his own and touched his he took his and carried it to his lips he tried by signs to make them understand he meant no harm finally his face light lit up with pleasure and he turned and spoke to the woman i don't get it he's like implying that he saw like nordic blondes or something that weren't wearing clothes because usually they wear like silver jumpsuits or whatever and they were driving a weird shaped airship on stilts she came hesitatingly forward her form undulating with exquisite grace he took her hand and kissed it the color rose to her cheeks and she threw it hastily away he asked them by signs where they came from, but it was difficult to make them understand. Finally, they seemed to do so, and smiling, they gazed upwards for a moment, as if looking for some particular point, then point upwards, pronouncing a word which he thought sounded like Mars. He pointed to the ship and expressed his wonder in the countenance. He took him by the hand and led him towards it. And the side was a small door. He looked in, which I didn't know they ever saw the inside of these airships. That's new. There's a luxurious couch covered with robes of most beautiful stuff and texture, such as he'd never seen before. It had a nice leather interior, very modern. From the ceiling was suspended a curious ball, from which extended a strip of metal which he struck to make it vibrate. Instantly, the ball was illuminated with a soft white light which lit up the whole interior. 
is most beautifully decorated with scenes such as he had never seen before. At the stern was another large ball of metal, supporting in a strong framework and connected to the shaft of the propeller. At the stern was a similar mechanism attached to each propeller and smaller balls attached to a point of metal that extended from each side of the vessel and from the prow. And connected to each ball was a thin strip of metal similar to the one attached to the lamp. He struck each one, and when they vibrated, the balls commenced to revolve with intense rapidity and did not cease till he stopped them with a kind of break. As they revolved, intense lights, stronger than any the lights he had ever seen, shone out from the points at the sides and at the prow, but they were of different colors. The one at the prow was an intense white light. On one side was green and the other red. The two had been examining him with the greatest curiosity. In the meantime, they felt at his clothing, looked at his gray hair with surprise, and examined their watch with the greatest wonder. Signs are poor medium to exchange ideas and therefore could express little. Hope they had interior heating as they were making their trip back to Mars in a stagecoach that could fly on stilts. Doesn't really, unless I'm missing something, I'm not sure what they were flying with. He pointed to the balls attached to the propellers. He gave each of the strips of metal a wrap. Those attached to the propeller were under the vessel first. The balls began to revolve rapidly, and he felt the vessel begin to rise. And he sprang out, and none too soon, the vessel rose as lightly as a bird and shot away like an arrow. And in a few minutes, that was out of sight. So they just lost their airship? Uh, I don't, I don't get it. The two stood laughing and waving their hands to him. She a vision of loveliness and he of manly vigor. I think this guy's in love with them. Probably people will ask as they did of the farmer in I Iowa, where did you get your whiskey? But I can say if I ever drank liquor, I'd go immediately and get some more of the whiskey. Assuming the story is true, the two humanoids indeed sound like they are either E.T.'s or, to borrow from religious terminology, angels. I don't get it because, like, did they just, like, disappear? Or what happened? I mean, like, supposedly their airship just flew off to God knows where. Hopkins ended his letter by giving the address of his place of work, which was the 517 Security Building in St. Louis. And indeed, the paper did follow up on Hopkins, taking the letter to his boss, C.C. Gardner. Gardner confirmed that not only was it Hopkins' handwriting, but the dates matched up with his travel itinerary for the day of the sighting. Next, the reporter took the letter to the home of Hopkins' wife and daughters, who also attested to the letter's veracity. It seems strange that the paper would go to so much effort to fake the story, as many newspapers were content to print 
Sad stories and leave it at that. So, what, he saw two Martians? I, uh, okay, I'm only reading one more because I'm sorry, I'm like, yeah. Right now it's like 12 o'clock and I'm like stupid tired, but. The show must go on. I promise five episodes and you're getting five podcast episodes. You're welcome. You can thank me by leaving me a podcast review on Apple Podcasts. Blah. This is called The Colossus of Michigan. Um, da, 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 da. Oh, okay, so apparently they're starting with a group of aliens that um, carry around a book called To Serve Man, which supposedly is meant to describe in doing good deeds for mankind. Upon further investigation, though, the book is revealed to be a cookbook containing recipes for all the various methods of Methods the Canamets plan to employ on cooking and eating human beings. The Canamet aliens were predated by a very strange incident that happened in April 1897 when a nine and a half tall humanoid creature stepped off an airship in the small town of Reynolds, Michigan. Where is Michigan? I know it's north of here. Northwest, something, uh, much to the surprise of a half dozen farmers that were working nearby. According to an article that appeared in the Grand Rapids e Evening Press on April 16th, 1897, a strange airship swooped down from the sky and the very tall canamet type alien clambered over the side. As a group of a local farmers moved briskly from the ship towards the ship, eager to discover more about the bizarre sight. As the farmers approached, the tall creature spoke to them eloquently in an unknown tongue, which obviously elicited only puzzled looks from the farmers and maybe some scratchings of the heads. More people gathered at the scene of the landing, and the newspaper reported that not only had the pleasure of looking at the airship, but several people had the rare good fortune to become acquainted with the navigator. Uh, yeah. Which was in a nonverbal manner. Um, speaking of nonverbal, everything seemed to be going extremely well. In this possible case of ET contact, and suddenly one of the farmers did something that totally spoiled the moment for everyone. One man among the farmers decided that it was time to show the strange visitor that the people of Earth were friendly and not a threat to him. Surely a good old-fashioned handshake would be a universal symbol of goodwill, regardless of whether the stranger might have come from. What had happened next was remarkable on many levels, because as the farmer extended his arm towards the visitor, the other's reaction was not as expected. 
The newspaper account says, One of the farmers hospitably extended his hand, but in the country the visitor comes from, this seems to be considered an affront. The attempt to shake hands was either interpreted as an insult, along the lines of a one-fingered salute, or it might have been viewed by the visitor as a threatening gesture. In any event, the reaction followed quickly. The big fellow swung one of his legs, and the farmer retired in disorder with a broken hip. So is this just like a giant humanoid? I, I don't know. It came out of an airship. Great. Because they, they haven't even described the stinking airship yet. Come on. Then the unknown sprang onto his aerial craft, turned on some strange power, and the whole airship darted away. And away he goes. A crowd of humans were left standing, uh, gazing up from the empty field at the rapidly vanishing airship, wondering what exactly had just happened. The newspaper reporter does not seem to be able to resist suggesting the eyewitness Accounts were fueled by alcohol consumption, which I didn't know. I mean, like, I've been drunk before multiple times, and, like, they never uh, made me hallucinate besides the fact that I was hilarious. I don't know. Thanks for letting me wander the res hall, Ken. And whatever. Closes the article by stating, There's no still in the vicinity of Reynolds that is known to the revenue authorities and a sharp lookout is being kept for moonshiners. The sudden and unexpected departure of the airship caused it to eventually experience some type of serious malfunction because just a few days later, it was reported by the local media that an airship had ex frickin' exploded in the skies over Pavilion, Michigan, about 100 miles away. Uh, a report in the April 24th, 1897 edition of the Bessemer, Michigan Herald stated, The most startling report comes from Pavilion, Michigan, where it is claimed that an airship, while passing over the town, exploded. Not only was the flash of an explosion seen, but the noise resulting was heard by a large number of reputable citizens. I love how, like, the, the soul reason you would judge someone on whether you believe their story or not was like, oh, well, they go to church. They haven't been to prison recently, so you should believe them. Uh, if that was the same airship that had confronted the farmers in Reynolds, Michigan, I don't know how many airships there were running around the Michigan countryside in 1897, but because I wasn't there. Uh, neither was my great-great-grandpa. The newspaper article continued, 
Their ship was traveling at a rapid rate when there was a loud report and the lights that had been visible at each end were extinguished. The machine disappeared and as it is expected was blown into the smithereens. Yeah, you know that airship that we're not sure existed? Well, it blew up, so don't don't go asking questions. According to the newspaper, debris from the explosion were scattered across town. Carpenters engaged in shingling a house near, beneath the point at which the ship ha- was seen to explode assert that when they... Resumed to work the following morning. The roof was covered with innumerable particles that looked as though they had fallen from above during the night. Even in 1897, the UFO skeptics were hard at work because immediately a cover story arose suggesting the so-called airship explosion was nothing more than a publicity stunt pulled off by a circus troupe. Well, that's... I mean, sure, why not? The newspaper said, quote, Telegrams from Madison, Wisconsin, sir, that several railroad men have been at Baraboo recently are sure the airship was simply a circus advertising scheme, and they believe it was controlled by cables, and that was, in reality, nothing more than something on the order of the stationary balloon that was seen at the World's Fair, so... They saw a giant, and he scared some farmers, and then he kicked a guy in the hip, breaking said hip, sped away in his airship, and then 100 miles later, it blew up. What a story. Well, anyways, we've seen Noah's Ark. We've seen uh, Adam and Eve. And their ship disappeared. Who knows what the heck happened to them. This has been your host, Luke. Happy Friday. And have a good day. Bye.